0: Hello everyone! Welcome to the Friday stream. It's a crazy electronic version of the Friday stream. Hey, cheesy. Hey, what's up? Oh, you know, sitting down here in my
1: big old uh, bus down by the river. I like the name. Uh, I like the name River Chris, by the way. I I, I get like a whole <laughs> different picture of a Chris in my in my head with River Chris. <laughs> I just need like a straw hat, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cut off blue jeans, like just flip flops, no shirt. Sounds like a good time. So what's the inspiration for today's music? Yeah, so today we're listening to uh, the first first artist is Spectacular Sound Productions. Um, just a little, the, the premise for today might be family, technical difficulties we've all had to solve from time to time. So to spice that up, I thought we'd throw some electronic music in there. So we got Spectacular Sound <laughs> Productions for the first one. This is F U Up Jump interesting sound uh these guys uh also do animations and uh, uh movie trailers game trailer music and stuff like that super cool and uh yeah after that you know we got uh pierlo from rome toward the end of the show
0: yeah that'll be coming up yeah and so will our stories of family tech support l's back hello l hello 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 and alex is here too hey alex Howdy! Hey, and everybody, join together now, and welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Brandon Bruce, hey, a.k.a. The Bruce. Hello, sir. Hola, how's it going? <laughs> Hola. You are uh, joining us on perhaps the perfect episode because Brandon's day job is helping out students and staff at Linux Academy with their IT issues. He runs the IT department at Linux Academy, and I bet you know a thing or two about tech support and family tech support, so thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we got a bunch of stuff to get into. Um, so many things to talk about. I had a couple of items from actual news headlines, which we don't talk about a lot here on the show, but I thought it'd be a good chance for me to find out how you all TV. Because I don't really know how you TV. I suspect I I suspect I know L doesn't TV, but I'm not sure. So L, how do you watch TV right now? Like, do you have a, a Chromecast? Do you have a TV? Do you just have a standard cable? Like what is L's TV setup?
2: I have a TV and a Roku, and I use all that fancy stuff to Netflix.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very good. How do you like the Roku?
2: Yeah, I I like it. Um, I had a Fire Stick before that, and man, I just hated that thing. It was constantly crashing and giving me all kinds of issues. And the Roku has pretty much been plug and play. Like, my kids can use it without any problem. But I think this day, like, kids just instinctively know how to use electronics.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my kids just blast right through on the Roku. They, they, it's really intuitive to them, too. Kind of. I have a tangential question for you, Brandon. What is your hot take on the amount of streaming services that are coming out and also sort of related to that, people watching a lot of streaming services at work, eating up bandwidth? There's all these other complicated issues around how people watch TV now.
3: So I, don't know, I, I am an early adopter of Plex, and then dropped off a of Plex. Um, I got into it back when it was a fledgling thing, and you could sign up for a lifetime to get it. Um, and I thought, oh, this is great, because there wasn't really a strong streaming service offering at the time. You could do Netflix. Hulu was kind of trash, uh, and Amazon really hadn't done anything yet. Next thing you know, you hit a, a sweet spot where Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix are all offering great stuff, and Plex, you know, for the, the majority of people, isn't really needed. And now we've gotten back to a point where we're going to diversify all of our streaming services, and you need to pick up a channel for HBO and Showtime, and everyone's got their own thing. Disney. Yeah, and it goes crazy, and you're like, all right, cool, so it's now cable, but streaming. I think I'll go back to Plex. And that's honestly where I'm getting at now is I'm going back to wanting to put my Plex server back together and just get my own library.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is exactly
0: how I'm feeling, too. It's just It is the cable scenario all over again. And I think in the long term, if I looked at everything, I may end up paying more. It's a mess now. Um, all right, cheesy. How are you doing? TV these days? Like the main way to consume, like living room, quote unquote,
1: TV. Uh, I am also in the Roku camp, um, and the main reason is because it supports everything. So all of these platforms, just like Bruce said, you know, I, I call it the five ninety nine tax because that's what they do is they five ninety nine you to death if you want all of these various channels now, right? <laughs> but I use the Roku because it's kind of agnostic, so I can have you know, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime. Uh, I also subscribe to for $10 a month. I think it's Spectrum has their own digital cable service that has a Roku channel. Um, So with the Roku, you kind of get that full ecosystem where you can do that with other solutions. Sometimes they do play right with each other. Sometimes they don't. I think, what is it that uh, Netflix and Amazon are now playing nice together again and It was YouTube and Amazon for a while, too. Yeah, YouTube and Amazon. Uh, I think they're playing nice together now. And so it's just so convoluted, it seems like. And I just want just whatever, man, if it's $30 a month for all of the channels, all of the things that I could watch, let me just do that. Uh, And that's what I'm waiting for. For me,
0: it's like I'll do it. I'll do all the different subscription services to a point right now. I am a long-time Netflix subscriber <laughs> since the since the days when they had a very small limited catalog that you could only ship over DVD and I think the 3 DVD was like like their like one of their mid to, to great plans um CBS all access because uh I'm a Star Trek sucker and I'm trying to finance the creation and development of Star Trek. Uh I pay for um Amazon Prime. I also pay for YouTube TV, which is the big sucker. So this is nice because it's all live TV, local wherever I travel. I'll, I get the local stations generally, and um, I also can pull in the news networks and the major cable networks and tons of sports ball if I watched it. But it's it's like forty bucks a month now for YouTube TV.
4: It's fifty.
0: It's gone up. couldn't remember because I thought after tax it's like 57 actually but yeah um, it's just it's getting way way too much so Alex at a high level how are you TV and like what device are you using for playback on your main TV is that connecting back to a media library like what's your setup
4: well I mean we could probably do a whole show on that but uh, I have an Nvidia Shield TV Um, I know you have one of those as well as my primary device and I've had that box now for I want to say three maybe four years solid I heard there's a rumor they're bringing out a new one, maybe. Well, that's what
0: actually brought this up. Yeah, is there is a rumor that the new one's in the works.
4: Yeah, um, so I have a mixture of things. I watch way too much YouTube. There was a comment in, uh, I forget what show, was it Choose Linux about the YouTube algorithm uh, this week that just made me laugh? uh, Because I watch way too much YouTube, just (laughs) (laughs) one video after another. So I actually pay for YouTube Red, so I'd have to sit through those adverts. As do I. And then I have uh, YouTube TV, so I can watch Formula One and any other sports and stuff that I want. Um, which compared to what I was playing for Sky Sports back in England, fifty bucks a month for YouTube TV is kind of good value, but it still feels like a lot. Uh, and then the rest of the time, it's just in a browser on whatever device I'm on. I also have a, I have a mostly
0: a mix of uh, Nvidia Shield TVs and. Right now, I'm experimenting with the built-in apps in the Vizio television in the studio, just, as, just to try it, because I've, I've always just poo pooed those built-in smart TVs, and it is awful, and it is slow. So, so far, my assumptions were correct, but I'm still giving it a go for a little bit. But I generally do use the uh, NVIDIA Shield TV. In fact, I think it's one of the single best pieces of technology I've bought in probably 10 years. Absolutely agree. It's not the only one, but it's one of the best.
4: It just works, right? It's completely over spec for
0: its purpose. It's the only one that, and I hate to say this, but it's the only one that feels as fast as the Apple
4: TV. (laughs) Yeah, you're right with that. And it gets regular updates, too. That's a big thing that most of these other boxes don't.
0: I don't love the remote. The remote's not great, but it's not as bad as the Apple TV remote. So, you know, it's better than that. And uh, the microphone could be a little bit better when you're trying to do voice dictation for search. And I'm not huge that they've really pushed forward on the Google Assistant integration, but it's not in your face a lot. It's really not that bad. It's it's manageable, and the main jobs to watch videos, and um, thankfully, in some one scenario, also act as a Plex server is really handy. In my RV, it's my LAN's Plex server, so I have a small cache, a terabyte of entertainment that is just on a hard drive attached to an NVIDIA Shield that acts as a local Plex server. So if I'm somewhere in the you know in the sticks that doesn't have any cell reception. Um, I can still watch Plex on any of my Plex compatible devices on my LAN, which is my TVs, which there are three of, and then of course my, my my tablets or my phone or my my laptop.
4: So, talking about live TV, there's one area that I've been meaning to get into for a while, which I haven't, which is uh, a DVR. So, Plex lets you add an antenna, effectively with like a HD home run or something like that, and then you can record uh, over-the-air free-to-air TV and have it just show up in your plex library. Um I know there's a lot of stuff with like TV head end you can do in Kodi and things like that. So I think with the the price increase of YouTube TV and things like that uh, it's, it's just pushing me away. I I just can't once it gets up to above 50 60 70 a month that um, that makes you start to think twice. It, if it's just 5 to 10 bucks per service and you've only got two or three Eh,
0: that's fine. Well, and the, tr- the fact of the matter is, is I, if they would let me, I would just subscribe to the individual channels Yeah, on, on YouTube TV. I don't really want 80% of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also supplement some of my TV watching with Kodi, which also works fantastic on the NVIDIA Shield TV. Kodi is just such a great media center application. So again, with that local cache that I have of files, I, I, put a, I have two NVIDIA Shields in the RV. And the second one I put another hard drive on of different shows that we watch in the bedroom, like uh, Voyager, Star Trek Voyagers, on that one. Because, uh, you know, it's the bedroom, so that's what you watch in the bedroom. Uh, and that's just on its own hard drive. And Cody just scans that. It pulls down all of the metadata. And there's no Plex involved. There's no remote connection involved. And the, it's so fast. The The moment I compress the button on the remote, as the button is going down, the video is playing. It is instantaneous. And it's just so wonderful to have television as fast as it used to be. When I was a kid, back in my day, you would just turn the channel and you would instantly be on the next channel. There was no lag, there was no delay. It was truly great channel flipping. It's one of the things I miss the most about television now. And with Cody, I get that kind of responsiveness. So shout out to Cody too. It's a great part of the media center.
4: When we moved to America, my wife um, was, was adamant that she wanted to be able to continue to watch iPlayer. So I have a little Raspberry Pi in my dad's house that just sits there as an OpenVPN server. We then have an OpenVPN client on the NVIDIA Shield, which is um, configured to route all the traffic from the BBC iPlayer app through that VPN tunnel and come out in England. Now you think to yourself, why don't you just use something like a DigitalOcean droplet or an AWS What's It or whatever? Um, the reason is because they blacklist blocks of IPs. So unless you're coming from a residential IP, they won't let you work. So that's my, hack, my kind of life hack for watching iPlayer in America is have a, a family member who's happy to let you put a pie in their house. I see. So it's easy. You Anyone can do it
0: <laughs> as long as they have a family member in the area. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. right. You know,
4: just ask me nicely.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's true. Um, there's always a way, right? When there's a will, there is a way. You just got to know how. Well, uh, last week, uh, we were lazy and uh, took the uh, week off. Not really. I was just gone. I was out of town, loaded up the family, so it's five of us in uh, my RV, and we went to Bozeman, Montana, and it turned out really great. So thank you for letting me take that day off, audience. I appreciate you uh, letting us skip one because it was really, really great. Turned out to be just perfect. Of course, too, you know, as, uh, as you guys know who listen and those of you on the call who are parents, when you go, um, say, two days, when you drive for like two days to a place to go swimming, by the time the kids get there, they are so crazy hyped. They are so excited to be there, especially ours are younger. Our oldest is 10 and our youngest just turned six. So they are, <laughs> they are raring to go when we arrived at Bozeman Hot Springs
1: Bozeman Hot Springs, but we're not going swimming yet.
0: Yeah, and well, I'm we,
1: really excited.
0: We gotta set up the campsite.
1: I'm gonna check this place out because I don't what recall this and, place from last year. And you
0: know, maybe have dinner. Okay. <laughs> okay,
3: that's. We are can going outside. Yes, you sure, gonna play, Levi? In? And...
0: Come on, Levi. Le- tent? Levi.
3: Your <laughs> I need it. Dude, because you know, because I actually want to go to the pool, but you're going to irritate me if you keep bugging me
0: about it. Come on, Levi. And that's really, it's that's what it's like when you go on a road trip. It's you get there and you're you're a little spent because it's driving a long ways, going through passes, lots of wind, and this trip we tried something new. Cheesy. This this segment's for you because I know you're getting an RV soon. Oh yeah. So I want to hook you up with some of the lingo. Okay. All right. All right. So this time, we tried a chase on our way to Montana. And that's what people in the RV lifestyle, quote unquote, call it when you take two cars. <laughs> you just take two cars. You take the RV and you follow in another car. You chase in another car. And uh, we brought two-way radios so we could keep in sync with each other uh, you know, for traffic conditions or switching lanes or needing to stop. And that actually worked out really well, but it meant that we were both kind of tired when we got to our end destination. We were a little worn out because we both had been driving that whole way. So it sort of has its plus and minuses, you know, versus like towing a car. But the nice thing is, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to like have, you know, have hook up a car and tow it. You can just, you just drive it. If you're not going too far, it works out pretty well. And the nice thing is, if you get somewhere and you've got a vehicle, then you can sometimes do things that you never would have originally done if you were just in a big old bus, which is exactly what we did. You know, we figured, why not take a quick family trip into West Yellowstone? We were kind of like semi-debating it then, then the hype started, we started like looking it up on YouTube, started reading blog posts, tried to figure out we could really make it happen. not how successful we're going to be.
3: And weather's been bad enough that we think it might not be as crowded, because today's just a clear day in the middle of a week of rain. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Levi's coming. Aren't you, Levi? Levi's leap? Yeah, Levi's really our navigator for this whole endeavor. We'll see how this goes. Maybe this becomes a thing. Like, maybe we go to Bozeman in the summer and we take a stab out into Yellowstone and explore a different area each year. Or maybe we never do it again. Well, it worked out really well. I don't, If you get a chance, if you ever get a chance, I know this is such a cliche thing to say, but it's so worth going to the national parks. We went because my son Dylan, as part of like a fourth grade program, got free passes to the state parks for the summer. Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. So we jumped in the car and we went and it was...
4: It was awesome. That's really cool, Chris. What did you think of West Yellowstone? Oh, yeah, you've been, Alex. You've been. I was there just last month, yeah. Yeah. I, I really, it's
0: my second time going, and it, it felt new. It felt, it still felt all new. Seeing everything, the, the, the sights, and something you, in fact, touched on, Alex, is you're disconnected the entire time, too, which is kind of nice in a way.
4: It's really great. You didn't get charged by any wildlife whilst you were there, did you? Did you see that <laughs> news article this week?
0: Yeah, I did. No, we did not. But something they give the kids, which was great because it kept them occupied, a little pro tip here for families, is they have a game called you know Spot the Wildlife and they give the kids a worksheet to fill out and count the different wildlife and types that they've spotted and all the kinds that live in the park and it gives them information about it. Well, guess what they did the entire time we were in the car? They were glued to the window trying to fill out their sheet, trying to see all the different animals that they could catch. It made fun for all of us.
4: Another great game is the license plate game. On the way to the place, you have to list all 50 states. And then once you've figured out you've forgotten Nebraska or Rhode Island or whatever it is, <laughs> then you have, to, you have to look out the window the whole time and collect all the states. That passes the time really well, I tell you what.
0: It was really busy the last time I'd gone to Yellowstone. It was um, in September, just before it shut down. Like the week it was shutting down, some of the campsites were shutting down for the end of the season. And kids were back in school. Man, that was a great time to go. That was a killer, killer time to go because it was practically empty compared to what it was like when we went you know, smack dab mid of summer. Um, really worth it. We went and saw Old Faithful, did that, did the, basically the Geyser tour this time because we were halfway into it and I'm like already deciding, this is a thing we're doing every year. Like we're going to go to the Bozeman Hot Springs, then we'll take a ride into Yellowstone and we'll just take stabs into different parts of Yellowstone each year. And see different areas
4: and not bother with staying in Yellowstone necessarily. So what was your overall impression of the parking situations and traffic and all that kind of stuff?
0: It was pretty miserable, especially as you got closer to Old Faithful because everybody's there to see a geyser. Um, I think it gets better if you go away from the geysers. But uh, pro tip, if you're coming from the west, there is a set of geysers and there's one more pull-off right before Old Faithful. And it's way less packed than Old Faithful, and you get to actually walk around the geysers. You get much closer. There's they're going off constantly, and, and on, like the kids, just
4: it felt they had to wait forever for Old Faithful. It felt like is that the one called Biscuit Basin?
0: I think it's between Biscuit Basin and Old Faithful.
4: Oh yeah, I know the one you mean. My wife and I took to calling it Buttery Biscuit Basin whilst we were there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good though. I would definitely recommend and will definitely do it again. Probably go
4: every year. Yeah, we, we took like a 10-day trip last month, my wife and I. and um, it Blog.ktz.me and there's a bunch of my photographs and stuff on there. And we saw wolves and otters and beavers and all sorts of cool stuff. It was a pretty amazing trip.
3: And moose? Yeah, we used to actually use all the state parks as an easy way when we were traveling cross-country growing up. Because we just take a tent and instead of paying for hotels and whatnot, you know, you pay 13 bucks, maybe tops and stay in a state park. And you get to see all kinds of interesting stuff when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. And looking back at that, that was a positive experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you make like the trip from Texas all the way to uh, Washington, D.C. is the one I remember (laughs) the most. And we would go along I-10 all the way, what was it, into Florida, I think, and then go north. My father was big on hitting all the state parks as much as he could. They're so beautiful. And the thing about state parks, too, is they're really quiet
4: compared to the national parks. Most people don't bother with them, so you you can get some really cool stuff. There's there's one in particular that stood out for me, um, Dead Horse State Park, just outside of Moab. Most people are going straight on past the Canyonlands, which is just down the road, which is where, like, Mesa Arch and all that stuff is. Um, But Dead Horse is where they filmed Westworld, and it's just as beautiful and just as amazing, and it's completely deserted in comparison. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, that is very true. Everybody focuses because everybody knows about the national parks. Um, And the state parks are incredible. I'm in an area right now that um, has this – the way I describe it is it's something they would not build today. No doubt in my mind they wouldn't build it today. But they built it when they were building the interstate system. And it is this amazing lookout. It's a state park. And it has this great trail, and at the end of the trail, the payoff is you go out onto a rock bluff, which is five thousand feet up in the air. I mean, it's way up there. It's I don't know. It's way up there. It's yeah. It's probably about it's probably about four thousand feet. Um, and so you go out on the edge of this rock, and you have this view of a valley and Interstate uh, Twenty, Highway Twenty, and just this whole thing. And if you make one wrong step, you're dead. You'll, you're dead. There's like tiny little steps that are made out of rocks that you walk on that aren't 100% sure footing. And uh, the, there is some railing, but it's like um, ankle height. <laughs> so it's actually more of a trip hazard. <laughs> it's beautiful. And it's um, no national park. I, I, did, I didn't even know about it. Hadi and I uh, are out in eastern Washington and swung by this little uh, turnoff they have, it says uh, something like a Washington Pass Overlook or something like that, and um, let's go check it out. What is it? Well, so we we were driving for a little bit, and then we find this trail, and then we let's go walk this trail. <laughs> we ended up on this rock bluff. It was, it was it was really something. So we're in we're in a secret location right now that is a life hack of mine. So we dropped the kids off after we had the kids for the week in Montana, brought them home, dropped them off. I did a little recording, and then we jumped back in the RV, and we're now in a hidden location in our huge bus down by the river. So we're at the Methow River, we're at a campground at the Methow River. Decided we'd work the week here, right? Just to work the week here. No other reason other than we just wanted to do it. It's
1: beautiful.
0: It's beautiful. We may regret the heat and the fact that I have to commute into the studio tomorrow.
3: Yeah, but we got river access.
0: Yeah, we're right on that river. We're right on that river. It's pretty good. So now, right now we're just walking the animal since we just got back from delicious pizza. Wanted to walk the animal. And uh, also the dog. I'm not this guy usually, but I don't know if I'm going to even tell anybody where this spot is. It's so perfect. It's got decent cell signal. It's right on the river. It's pretty great just outside of Winthrop. So sits between the town of Twisp and Winthrop here in Washington. And it's pretty, pretty nice. I think one of the best life choices I've made in a while. Just come here and work and, and hike and enjoy the river. I don't know, man. I think I figured it out this time.
4: There really is something to just being outside, eh?
0: Yeah, and near the water, too. So very, very, very big thank you for letting us take the week off. We do have some really cool stuff planned for the next couple of Friday streams. And then we also have some stuff in the works that we'll be talking about soon. But something we haven't really mentioned much on air, but it's happening very soon, is a team sprint. We're all getting together for a week in August to work on secret projects and record a special episode of the Friday Stream. So if you're not subscribed yet, now is a good time to get subscribed fridaystream.com. We have links over there because we have a very special all of us in studio episode. I don't know if that means all of us will actually be in the episode, but those of us that will be in the episode will be in studio. And uh, Alex will be joining us there too, so even even Alex will be in studio, and there's a possibility Brent may make it during the recording day as well so it could be a it could be a full cast of characters on the friday stream will you um will you guys allow me another another item from the news we don't again we don't do this here in the show, but this one uh also kind of related to myself, so let's just be selfish for a moment. I really screwed up uh I sent all of your photos <laughs> in the face app um uh, and, uh, actually I didn't do, I didn't do Ellen and, and Bruce, but, uh, everyone else on the call, uh, put your faces into the face app program. And then everybody started freaking out, which is really a shame because I have to say the results for cheese were so choice that Hadea and I were laughing for an entire evening. Every time we looked at the picture, but while I was on vacation, the entire world freaked out about FaceApp. app. It's an internet challenge promising a glimpse of your future. Wrinkles,
1: saggy
3: skin, gray hair and all.
2: There's just wrinkles everywhere. First
1: shared by people who stumbled upon something called FaceApp. I just feel like it's not what I'm going to look
3: like when I'm older. Then quickly spreading through social media, transforming the likes of Justin Bieber, Kim Kardashian, not even The Rock immune to virtual old age. Today, it's the number one app on iPhones and Androids, more than 100 million downloads. You basically take a picture, then click here, and yikes. But where exactly are these pictures going, and how are they being stored? Turns out the developer's based in Russia. In a statement, the company says user data is not transferred to Russia, but in their terms of service, you agree to the transfer and storage of your information in and to the U.S. and other countries. This is essentially creating a surveillance technology industry that's going to be worth billions of dollars and will always know what you look like.
0: And don't forget, it involves the Russians, the Russians. So everybody freaked out, everybody panicked. So please tell me how this is different to Facebook or Google or... See, this is the assumption we make. Oh, yeah, okay, well, Facebook and Twitter or Google are using them. No. When it's public, it's legally okay for anyone to use those images. Any private AI company, any Russian hacker database, anybody... Is allowed to suck those images off Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and use them for image recognition and training. It's happening. The NSA does it. It's a thing that already happens. But in a way, it's kind of good that people are freaking out and worrying about this. But it's a little misdirected, and it kind of smells too of uh, nationalism. Like, oh, it's Russia, so it's it's immediately bad. Just like if it was from China, it'd be awful. But if the developers
3: were based in Australia, that's okay. If they're in Canada, that's fine. Yeah, it starts to feel like we're repeating history a little bit because it's kind of like McCarthyism and Cold War stuff. Like now anything that says Russian must be bad. Anything .ru we must avoid. And we're not really being critical thinkers about it. We're just reacting with like, I don't know, uh, nationalism is probably a good way to put it, some type of xenophobia. And don't forget that AMD is owned
4: by China.
0: I think, too, the other thing that really got people worked up was the terms of service say that they can use your image in perpetuity in any way they want uh, with uh,
3: uh, access to affiliates, and they can be stored in any country. Yeah, now that you should be worried about. That is what we should be talking about, not where it came from, but what they're doing. Yes. Oh, yes. But the thing is, that's the same terms of service that
0: are for Google Photos or for Twitter. That's the same terms of service that just about any company that's going to store your media on behalf of you and then has to back it up and replicate it across data centers and, and wants to use it for analysis, that is the boilerplate EULA language that we all are agreeing to all the time that obviously is not cool. And we should be having a much bigger conversation about that. Right. Yeah. No, I'm 100% right behind you with it. So I guess I'm kind of glad that everybody freaked out at the same time. Um... I feel like it is really exposing a much larger conversation that a lot of companies are just skating out from having to have, just right around the corner. Facebook's in the spotlight right now because of all of the Cambridge Analytica and all of the crap that Facebook is beginning trouble for. But someday there will be a reckoning, I imagine, for the Googles out there that are doing this as a daily practice or government agencies that are sucking down photos off of social media and storing them for facial recognition for border crossing. It's happening. There may one day be an outrage around that. I don't know. But it seems when properly focused and attention is properly brought to an an issue, people react. Like, I saw all kinds of stuff. And now, I was originally going to do this segment. What's funny is this story when I was on vacation didn't happen. And the idea was when I got back, I was going to tell you how people reacted to me Aging myself on social media and in Slack, and I was going to see how people responded. Like when I reach out for comment on a story, I was going to see if I noticed a difference. Being, you know, by looking like maybe I was in my late sixties, I still have the image up on my Twitter. <laughs> that one was just fun, um, but I switched it in my other like professional locations uh, because the story. But I was originally going to do a piece
4: on how I got treated differently, and just thought that'd be an interesting observation. You aged very well. There was that one of you laughing, looking sideways. Yeah, I do like that one. Yeah, you aged very well. Gracefully, you might say. Let's
0: hope that's what happens. Let's hope.
4: <laughs> I can only be so lucky. But, is it, you know, let's, let's take the privacy thing aside for a second. The tech is amazing. It, can, it takes only a couple of seconds to analyze your face, and it didn't like, put glasses in the wrong place once for me, or a beard or anything like that in the wrong place. Like, it, it's genuinely impressive.
2: Before this app came out, there was a Facebook Twitter challenge to post photos of yourself when you were like in junior high school and a photo now. And I'm wondering if a lot of that data was garnered and gathered to be able to produce the technology that we're using now.
0: Somebody was taking that data going, oh, very useful. Thank you. Oh, this will help the models. Thank you very much. Somebody was for sure. Yeah. Hot dog, not a hot dog. (laughs) When I uploaded the, or actually I should back up. When I opened the app and I tapped a photo to work on it, You know, just being familiar with how devices perform and probably everybody listening would have the same intuition, I could tell it was uploading the photo. Like that didn't cross – that didn't even – for a moment, I wasn't deceived by that. There was no progress indicator really. There was a loading thing. But you could just tell because I had limited connectivity that it was uploading a photo to a server and the server was doing the processing um, and it only uploaded it once. So if you went back to that photo later, it was already on the server. They claim they delete them after 48 hours. Um, and to me, that was, that was self-evident just in the performance of the app. But one of the things the story revealed to me is the majority of the users had no idea it was uploading the photo. They thought it was all happening on device. And that was part of what I think accelerated the outrage. It was, it was a discovery at the same time that your personal photos were being sent up to a system somewhere. And people did not appreciate that that was happening because the app wasn't implicitly clear about that. And that's something I think developers should be better about, about respecting what is user data and communicating to them when you're taking it, and all of a sudden the conditions around that data are changing. Developers could easily communicate that with a one single prompt or a, even just a screen that came up on first upload that says, we're sending this off to our servers where it will be stored for 48 hours for processing. Simple, clear, easy, and I think it would have made – it would have set everyone's expectations. People didn't realize it was being uploaded. And then all of a sudden to discover that the company is based out of Russia, totally ignoring the fact that they were being uploaded to S3, um, I think just added to the outrage. All right, last item. Cheesy found this. This is like OkCupid for dogs. I don't know if anybody's ever tried OkCupid, but it's you go in there and you take all these, take all these questions and you give them all these answers and it's supposed to match you up with the right profile. Well, why not do that for dogs? Why not do that for dogs? Well, let me introduce you, this is not a joke, to HowImetMyDog.com, a dating website that will find the perfect dog for you. Now, be prepared because it's a different kind of experience. You don't get to choose your dog breed. You have to answer quite a bit of questions. There's kind kind of a faith process you have to go through while they evaluate you for the proper dog.
1: You going to try it, Cheese? (laughs) Uh, you know, I thought about it, but I mean, I've got two dogs right now, so maybe in the future, you know, Hmm. 50, 56 questions. It's like a dog personality, you know, quiz. I mean, it has questions in there like, um, you know, do you have a little baby? If you do, then you might not want a yappy dog. Um, are you, do you have, are you have high allergies? Then you might want a, a hypoallergenic type dog. Do you not want to clean up long hair on your carpet? Then you might want a short-haired dog, so on and so forth. So, I mean, I think it's a it's a pretty cool idea. I, I think it's a better idea than
0: Tinder. <laughs> Compatibility, <laughs> get it? Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's been running since 2017. It says they facilitated around a thousand dog adoptions,
1: and that's what's really cool, right? Is that it is you know these dogs are being adopted, so these dogs that are you know throughout the nation. You compare people. I think it's a really good way, Um, you know, because a lot of these dogs will probably already be spayed or neutered and it's something you don't have to worry about and they need homes. You know, I'll tell you, uh, we, we,
0: a rescue, we, Levi was a rescue uh, adoption and uh, you really don't know what you're getting. When you do a rescue adoption, you kind of go in there, you meet the dog, the dog meets you and the family. You know, you spend a couple hours with a dog and you, you, you hope to get a sense of the animal. Um, and then all of a sudden one evening you're driving home with a dog in your truck. It was the it was the weirdest sensation. I I just oh well, you know, I'd spent I just about six months kind of thinking about life with a dog, visualizing how would this morning go if we had a dog, you know, how would this work trip have been how would we have figured out care for the dog if during this work trip? Like I just spent like half a year kind of visualizing life with a dog. And then towards Thanksgiving, I started thinking, God, I really this is like two years now. I started thinking wow, I really, really want a dog. Yeah, I think I've really got this. I think this is going to work out. And then it was the process of actually trying to pick a dog. And it was hard because the first dog we found ended up going to a different family and we really got attached. And then the second dog I found, kind of on a whim, worked out to be amazing. Like Levi has been a great addition to our family. He's like a real member of the family. He's He's our little adventure buddy. You know, yesterday, he was out in the river with us, and this morning he went on a hike with Hadia. And like, he's we we went out to dinner, and there's a there's a place here that allows dogs. He's sitting right there next to us while we're eating dinner, staring at my ribs, and just being a great dog, saying hi to people. And he loves to chase drones too, right? He loves to chase. He caught the drone at Linux Fest Northwest because he's such a good dog. We're having the whole barbecue like 300 people outside my RV in the parking lot at Linux Fest Northwest and Levi's just walking around not bugging people being a good dog you know just chilling not not going too far off even though there's a dog park literally right next to the RV where dogs are coming and going the whole time and then um Jeff was there flying his drone his uh, one of those racing drones that just really books and moves and and Levi was eyeballing that thing all night, trying, trying to go for it all night long. And towards like the end of the last flight of the drone, Levi struck. He jumped up, caught it in air, and then started running around with it. But the most brilliant thing about it was he caught it such that the camera was facing forward out of his mouth. So those of us who had the monitor... Then got to see the world of Levi as he ran around in a victory lap around the parking lot, around the barbecue, and we watched the entire thing from the camera from Levi's perspective as he's bobbing around and jumping. (laughs) It was the greatest thing. It just worked out. I mean, so yeah, yeah. I I think if there's if there's a tool out there that can really make people uh, match the right animal, the right dog, I think yeah, give it a go.
4: I remember when we got our first dog, he was from Manchester Dogs Home. And uh, Catherine and I were 23, maybe. So you're not, you're not very old, really. Uh, and just that feeling, like you said, Chris, of, of you've one day you don't have a dog, and then suddenly on the back seat of your car, there is a dog. And it's like, somebody should have stopped me do, <laughs> from doing this. <laughs> How is this allowed? Do I not need a license or something? They just let me do this? <laughs> There's a life form here that
0: I'm now responsible for. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
4: We were both really worried about it as well. Cause we'd never really had a pet or anything. And then, um, we got him home and he was wandering around the kitchen and just, we were, we hadn't noticed his water bowl was empty and he just went over and just like pushing it around the floor to let us know he needed a drink. And we were like, Oh, okay. He's actually got a brain and can figure stuff out for himself. We just need to take care of him. We don't need to think for him. That's so great.
0: He's communicating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really. The, um, the thing about Levi, because he's, in, he's on the road with us so much now, is he has learned certain Google Maps cues mean that we're about to stop. And he's also learned that if he hears a Google Maps cue with the blinker, that it's time for him to get to go for a walk, uh, which not, is not always the case, but that's what he's learned. <laughs> so, yeah, they can be very clever. Uh, cheese, you got two dogs. You, I mean, um, and Elle, I know you recently had a dog pass too. So you all both have like long, long connections with dogs. So I, uh, I think you guys know what I'm talking about here.
2: I love you alls stories about going and finding your dogs because I, I really haven't had that happen. It's always been the dog that found me, or you know, the kids are walking down the street and they're like, "Mom, look what I found." And I'm like, "Okay, oh my gosh, this is all right. This is number three. We'll be fine." I mean, what's another dog? <laughs>
0: Is it like kids where a third is like way more than just 50% work? Is it like...
2: You know, what's funny is so the dog that, you know, I, I think most people see on my Twitter because I take lots of photos is 150-pound Great Pyrenees. And this is the most laid back chill dog on the planet. Yet we have a little, I don't know, five-pound Lhasa that is the biggest pain in... Yeah, you know where I'm going there with that. And it's just how this actually equates out that five pounds can drive you insane, but 150 will just chill and be a rug. I have yet to figure out.
1: I do have two and they're awesome. And we, we did have a, another stray that we had picked up at one point. Oh, really? Um, by feeding her a ham sandwich out of the back of a truck. Um, she's since passed away. Jelly, super awesome dog. She was probably the most grateful dog ever because we rescued her from the side of the highway. Um but the 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 way it broke down originally for me is a friend of mine, his dog had some puppies. Uh, we we were over there just visiting, and uh, they had this one little runt left over, and that was Butters. And so we picked him up, and then we had him for I don't know, maybe a year, six months. Was he named already, or did you guys name him Butters? Uh, we named him Butters because he was the runt of the litter, and around that time was uh, really the kickoff of South Park and all that stuff, and we. We're watching an episode, and we're like, you know what, Butters is like the runt of South Park, so let's name him Butters.
4: Everyone knows that's Butters,
1: exactly. Uh, and then it, I guess it was maybe six to eight months later, uh, Amanda had thought that Butters needs needed a companion, so that's how we ended up with Boudreaux, and we adopted him from a lady in Louisiana. Butters and Boudreaux, the boys.
0: All right. Well, we should probably talk about what we actually gather here today to talk about, and that is family tech support. Uh, I'm going to, um, for my own safety, opt not to share stories of wife's tech support stories, and we will focus just on family's tech support stories since she's in the room with me right now glaring at me. <laughs> she is a daily Linux user over there, though. She's so got to give her some credit. Uh, all right. Well, I think what we ought to do is go around the horn. Um,
3: Brandon, as our, uh, as our guest... <laughs> So instead of taking family, instead of taking you know the defense of family, I'm going to have to not talk about the people I work with and the tech support I have to do for them, since what three of y'all work for me, work with me, not for me. Man, I'd <laughs> yeah. hate to have y'all work for me. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, we're great. <laughs> hey, <laughs> <laughs> most of the time. No, uh, family. Oh. so to be fair, up until about six years ago, I was no more tech savvy than the standard gamer Uh, i knew how to build my own rig but i ran windows uh exclusively uh my family is even further behind that in that i just found out my dad has not let go of a windows 7 machine Uh, it's working fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then bought another laptop because that windows 7 machine slowed down and wasn't working fast enough. So instead of fixing it, he bought a new one, a new Windows seven machine or just a new computer in general, both. He bought a new laptop and then had it installed with windows seven. Now, mind you, he bought the laptop a year and a half ago.
0: Would
3: you, would you describe him as a, as a stubborn man, (laughs) (laughs) a stubborn pack rat man. He still collects. Uh, now it's, it's kind of come back in style, but he collects, uh, albums like actual vinyls oh sure but to the point that he has oh box upon box like there was a section of our garage growing up that was just nothing but albums and realized growing up that was 30 years ago and it kept going until he found out he could burn music and he would literally go to garage sales, buy albums and then burn them onto CD. <laughs> no. It's not quite that's not quite uh,
0: that's not quite a one to one there. So do you uh, end up um do you end up in conversations where he's trying to get things working on this Windows 7 machine and do you attempt to resolve those problems or do you just say get a Chromebook?
3: Well, uh, so that is <laughs> so I had to pay a visit up there. My father lives in Nebraska. Uh Oh, And yeah, so I spent a week up there, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, a week ago. It was actually just last week. It feels so much longer. Um, but I went over to his house and he lives with his now girlfriend and then they have a roommate and all three of them are about at the same level. And I ended up with a collection of things to fix. Uh, first was his laptop because it would not update his GPS for him. I asked him why he didn't use his phone for the GPS, yeah, and, <laughs> and he because it works fine. He doesn't need to use his phone. This works fine. He prefers to use it. Yes. That's why. Yeah, and he has an old Garmin, like a uh, circa two thousand five era Garmin. Oh era. yeah, with those really bad touch screens that you really have to press super hard. <laughs> yes, but to be fair to Garmin, and I, and I love their support because I had to learn about it. Uh, When you plug in the device and actually connect it to your laptop, it will let you know exactly where to go. It gives you on-screen information on the GPS. However, if you're my father, that GPS device is turned face down, and so you never see any of the important information. (laughs) (laughs) So he gives it to me, and I'm like, well, look, it's all right here. He's like, oh, I never saw any of that. Well. Did you, now that you've seen it, do you think you can do this? No, I have no idea where that is. Can I just click on it? (laughs) No, you you type, you type Garmin.com slash updates and you go there. Oh, well, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Okay, fine. Uh, So I'm updating his GPS and his girlfriend kind of taps me on the shoulder and goes, can you take a look at our our camera? Because it's not working anymore. Does it turn on? Yes. Okay. Well, what's the problem with it? well, I can only take four pictures. Okay. So I open it up and look at it and, I, and I'm looking and it says that it can't find the SD card. And I look on the side mm-hmm. and I'm like, just tapping, tap the SD card and it clicks into place. All of a sudden it tells me, hey, you can take you know 9,000 photos. I was like, here, it, it's fixed. <laughs> <laughs> the roommate now hears this and is like, can you fix my email? I was like, really, this is how this day is going to go, isn't it? It's just going to be one thing after another. You guys had a collection of things that you were waiting for. And uh, I was like, all right, what's the problem with your email? He's like, I can't download it. So I start thinking like Exchange or something, like he's using Outlook and wants like offline access to his email. I'm like, okay, well, let's take a look. What are you using? Yahoo. Yahoo still has email? All right, cool. All right, Uh, what do you mean by downloading? Do you have some app like – attachment or something you wanted to download. He's like, I can't even get to it. Okay, go to mail.yahoo.com. Well, then I see what he's doing. He's got Internet Explorer and it, uh, Yahoo is apparently updated enough now where they refuse to accept Internet Explorer. It tells them up front, you have to have Firefox or Chrome and gives you links. I was like, oh, well, just follow one of those links. Well, He clicks on uh, the one for Chrome and it tells him, hey, your firewall blocked you. It's like, you have a firewall set up? And he's giving me this blank stare of like, you know, what's a firewall? You do not know. <laughs> so we open it up and he's sure enough, he's got Norton running that he didn't know. It probably, maybe it just came on the computer, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is complete default, but Norton by default blocks access to anything except for Google.com. So if you try to go to any Google downloads for say Chrome, <laughs> it tells you no. So I was like, just turn it off. He's like. But won't my computer break? Won't people be able to get into it? I'm like, okay, really? Let's let's have a very serious conversation here. You're not wrong, but how many people are trying to get into your laptop? What do you have on there that you're protecting? He's like, oh, my banking. I'm like, all right, cool. That is very valid. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a whitelist so that you can allow Chrome to come through. Oh, well, no, let's not do that. I'll just keep using Internet Explorer. I'm like, No. No, 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 no. You have an opportunity here.
0: Which is using an Explorer is so much more riskier, especially an old one, than not having a Norton firewall on a computer that's already behind a router.
3: Yeah. And we, we talked about the router, too. Oh, man, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot all about the oh. – <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Every, I, I have – I use Insider, uh, the SSID identifier. Mm. on my phone because I would troubleshoot my own home network with it so I can track things. And uh, I pulled it up to check their router uh, when he started talking about his firewall and realized that everyone within at least 500 yards was using a very similar router naming setup, and it was all just default stuff. And when I found out that their password is basically the SSID Plus four digits and those four digits were their address. No. I was like, what are the chances? What are the chances? And we start poking at it, and sure enough, you can get onto all these different networks nearby using that same methodology. I was like, We're changing all this. This has gotta go.
0: Oh my gosh. Just takes one kid with nothing better to do to figure that out and start having himself a great time. That is a that is a tech support uh rabbit hole, is what you just got sucked into there. (laughs) Uh, so you changed their Wi-Fi password, I'm assuming, but then you had to go around and
3: reconnect all their devices? Yeah. Fortunately, they did not have very many. So mm. I, it did allow me to introduce them to how to actually set up their Roku. They had a Roku a Roku TV that they had connected a Chromecast to. And I was like, why did you guys do this? You you literally have it built in. Let's just use what's here. And they're like, well, it was already set up on the Chromecast. So I was like, well, no, it was set up on your laptop. let let's really work through how this stuff works. And so we had a discussion about, it and then got everything put on their Roku TV and they were much happier with that. Uh, it actually made them, uh, I, I would hope to believe a little more educated, but I know my dad and it's, it's going to be forgotten tomorrow. So <laughs> <laughs> you can hope
0: that maybe they'll think about that stuff in the future, but yeah, old habits. Well, good for you. You know, What happens to me, that rabbit hole tech support thing, what happens to me at family events is uh, I get sucked into the phone support stuff. Everybody's Android phones are cheap and out of storage, and they're filling them up constantly by installing apps and taking photos and they come to me with like a 16 gigabyte phone and they want me to fix it. That's a very common one that, and then I, I fix one of them and then another family member steps up and then it's another and then another. (laughs) What about you, Alex? Are you able to do tech support from afar now that uh, you've immigrated here to the United States of a,
4: I have a complicated relationship with my family when it comes to this thing. I used to work in the Apple store as a genius right behind the the genius bar. And as a consequence, my entire family saw that as an open invitation for any tech support issue. And this was, crikey, 10 years ago now I started there. Wow. And this was just about the time that they were getting iPhones themselves and figuring all of this stuff out. So I spent a lot of time trying to explain to them that I'd just done an eight hour shift dealing with customers. I don't really want to have to now deal with the family. And that, that took a long time really for that message to get through with. And it, it started off with me being polite and trying to, trying to be as helpful as I could be. And eventually I, I just, it didn't mean to, it just sort of happened. I got so frustrated with it that I started giving one line replies or just ignoring them or not replying at all. And then I guess getting a little bit rude sometimes when I did reply and that caused some fractures uh, in the family and things like that. And eventually I think people eventually realized that, yeah, okay, this is his job. They were taking advantage. It's like a busman's holiday.
0: Yeah. I had that. I had a little bit of that too, where I would get kind of frustrated after a while because the one that would trigger me is if they came to me with a problem and the solution genuinely truly was replace it with a new computer or replace it with a new phone and then I gave them a couple of options that I was comfortable helping them set up and migrate to and configure and support and then they went and chose something else that was like way worse but like in the case of like a computer the one that always got me was they picked a really bad computer but it came with a free printer and monitor and I would just be, like, oh no, you know, it's just had, so In one case, I had an aunt that bought a computer that was worse than the computer she was getting rid of. So I do understand. And I had that same mistake where I got really frustrated. And I even sometimes said, "I won't." If you didn't buy the device I told you to buy, I won't. I won't help. And that was when it was really at its peak. Whenever because I too was I was in IT support and I had the same exact thing you had, where people just came to me because, oh well, he knows he's he's
4: he's the computer guy, and they would save it up for family events too. Yeah, I do know, but it doesn't necessarily mean I want to know. <laughs> I often equated it to um you know let's say a car breaks or something else technical breaks like you might go and ask your uh family who are a mechanic for some advice but I wouldn't necessarily expect them to give up their free time to fix it for me um and I I think it took a while for that that message to kind of sink in really It, it has lately and um My over the years, I guess, getting ruder and ruder, I guess, kind of worked because now they do only come to me if they've Googled it first or and I think some of it is that, you know, it's 10 years later and they've learned a lot themselves and have become a lot more accomplished.
0: Right. I felt what played a role for my family, too, was that before I did it professionally, I did it as a hobby and as a hobby. Uh, I would fix computers at school i would i mean I did it a lot more as a hobby for friends and family, just for the fun of it and then when I started to work a full time job and uh did it every single day, I pulled back and they they didn't really understand that transition, and I didn't probably communicate it properly back then like I would be able to now and um yeah. So I was in that position for quite a while. And you're right, it has way dialed back because other members of the family have gotten a little more familiar with technology. Everybody has the ability to search now. The The transition to smartphones was really like the general public's awakening to the tools of the internet. And they still don't fully take advantage of it, but it's nothing like it was 10 years ago. So L, you and I have off-air... Shared stories about trying to do tech support for our kids, which is a whole other story. But I'm, I, ma- I imagine you have gotten questions here and there and pulled into situations that have left you shaking your head.
2: Yeah, I think that I have been very blessed by the fact that I've never really been a Windows user.
0: You can say that again.
2: Right. A few times the, the extended family has asked me to, you know, get on their box and help them out. I'm completely clueless. It's to the point that anyone who has ever talked with my mom um, knows that she's constantly trying to find me a job because she know- she just does not believe I'm technical. Like It's it's embarrassing, and but she's just like, what do you mean you don't know how to fix this? Like the whole world runs on windows. How could I possibly not know?
0: Not anymore, mom. Not anymore.
2: So I've yet to be able to convince my family that I actually work in tech. And after hearing y'all's stories, I'm not sure I want to.
0: <laughs> I, I should have gone your route. I should have just always said I don't understand Windows, because I don't mind fixing the Android, the Mac, and the Linux stuff, and the iPhone, iOS, when it rarely breaks. I don't mind fixing that, but it's the Windows stuff, especially the older Windows stuff on really cheap, bad hardware. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I think I think I should have... I should have tried that. That would have been the way to go.
2: I will tell you one of my happiest stories, though, and it's the best moment ever. And it's my daughter asking me to explain to her what a Linux kernel is. Like, what is a kernel? I know Linux. And I think I just stopped breathing and I was like, I'm not prepared for this. Hold on. I need to get notes.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I do love those moments. I do love those. Like, I got, I think I... Was able to properly explain virtualization to Dylan and PCI passthrough, and he was impressed by it, which is why I think I, I think he I think he got it, and that was sort of that same thing. Like I was so excited that he wanted to know what it was, and I think he listened too, which is also like really exciting. <laughs> Because it's both of those things.
2: <laughs> and I love it. When my my oldest asked me, you know, what is the cloud? I literally pulled over the car and was like, I've been preparing for this all my life. All right, here we go.
0: Man, that would make a good sitcom line right there. Um, okay, you know, Cheesy, I'm curious if you've gotten pulled into uh, tech support for family, friends, uh, if you've been able to avoid it, if maybe like Alex and I, you hit a limit at certain times. Um,
1: well, in the early days, uh, whenever I had a computer and, you know, friends knew I had a Computer. I was roped into fixing all of their computers, so old Packard Bells and Windows 95 boxes and stuff. And like you said, it seems like a lot of that has migrated over to the mobile platform since it's just consumer friendly. And everybody can kind of buy it. So you don't really have to help people much with computer problems anymore because everyone has a cell phone problem. Um, (laughs) But my dad, he does have an old, I think it's a Windows Vista laptop. It's, you know, a horrible HP 15-inch monster that sounds like a jet when it's, you know, running. Um, And I've I've had to fix it a few times, you know, Various viruses or the like get on the machine, so you have to go clean it up. So I've done that probably fifteen times.
4: Vista's such a
1: dog. I think that plays into
4: the, the the overall problem of you know five ten years ago as well is hardware was pretty terrible, and now like you know we've got iPads that are faster than MacBooks and technology nowadays. Kids don't know they're born. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Around that time, around or just around that same timeline, Cheesy, my dad was so proud. And I kind of at first thought it was cool, but it, it clearly turned into a catastrophe. He was really proud of this HP laptop that he got that had a desktop Pentium 4 processor in it. So it was oh, wow. huge. It was a huge laptop, massive fans, and then it overheated and failed all the time. He had... Two years with that laptop and nothing but problems and horrible battery life. Super loud, not portable at all. It's it was just it was a monster, and I'm pretty sure it was also Vista.
1: Yeah, well, and you know, like back in the day when people would buy these machines from the big box store, that it was almost like an upsell for the salesman to pitch you um, Norton antivirus, for example, like Bruce said, and almost have a a level of scare tactics in the store, like, oh, yeah, you want Norton because you want it installed and running all the time so that you'll never get a virus and this is what you should use and never you know, taking that as the gospel, whatever the salesperson was preaching them. So, you know, there was instances where I had to sit my dad down and walk him through why this is the way it needs to be and why we need to do this. Um, But I found that most often now he uses his tablet or his phone to get that sort of you know internet fix so if he's scrolling through facebook or or my dad is notorious about going to these um like uh trading sites it used to be like ebay all the time he used to buy golf clubs off ebay all the time and he'd ask me well why isn't it here yet well dad i don't know you got the
0: you got one of those dads you got one of those dads who finds like these trading sites that have like the special deals and
1: yes i feel like my dad and bruce's dad could be best friends Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they could just go together and buy all of the things, you know. Does he hang <laughs> out
3: and drink Coors Light?
1: Because uh, then they do great. He he doesn't anymore, but he probably would have <laughs> he had a buddy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so now it's moved on into this cell phone land, which my dad luckily has – an iPhone because I really encouraged him to get one just because I felt it would be a lot easier for him to, to, to use. Um, with my mother, when I finally got her a smartphone, I used her in with a windows phone, uh, which was actually perfect for her, uh, because of the tiles, it was really easy for her to consume the information. And then, um, my dad decided to buy her a new phone and it's this like super cheap Android, Samsung, whatever it is, 16 gig sort of thing. And it's just horrible, like right out of the gate. Um, so the first thing I did was r- install another launcher. I think it's called Big Launcher or something like that. So the it's it's very similar to like a Windows phone where it has big tiles. So it's really easy for it to operate. But yeah, I've had you know friends, family, everyone has asked me for tech support at, at least some point.
0: I'll do that too. I'll recommend different solutions to different family members. So I might... I might recommend a Pixel if they can afford it to one family member, and I'll try to find a budget phone for another, and a, you know an iPhone to another, and I, I kind of vary that too. I'll tell you my my one story. It's not family related, but it, it was about the fourth or fifth grade, and I had I had become fairly well known as a kid that could fix the old Apple Twos that they had in the school, <laughs> and so around fourth or fifth grade, I would often get pulled out of class to go fix another teacher's computer because it was interfering with their class, and so they'd write me a pass. And then they stopped writing passes. They would just, you know, send a TA to go get Chris, and then Chris would come fix the computer and then go back to class. And I guess maybe the teachers had some sort of agreement. I don't know what they were doing. I was a kid. What do I know? One day I got called down to the attendance office because their computer wasn't working. And this attendance guy, I don't know what he had against me because I was never truant. I never skipped class as a young kid. And when, once I got into high school and I realized what a jerk this guy was going to be because he came to the high school too, I was like, screw this guy. But anyways, that's, a, that's another Friday stream. I, at this time, I was a straight shooter. I had not violated the system in any way, and I should not be on his radar. But he, he would give me a glare. Like just he would look at me. And I knew I, I had this sense even as a young kid like this guy doesn't like me. So I get called down to the attendance office where this guy's the officer, the attendance officer, and I fix their computer. Pretty simple problem. Not a big deal. And as I'm leaving the attendance office, he hands me a pink slip, a truancy ticket for skipping class without pass.
1: Wow. And I got in trouble. For fixing his computer?
0: Even though I was going down to the attendance office. And I fixed the computer. And I didn't, it was... So from then on, like, they had to always, have, always had to get passes and stuff like that. But I felt so violated, like it wrecked my whole day. Like I went home devastated because, like, I gotten swindled by this guy because he called me down there, he had a TA come get me, and then I fixed his computer, and then he busted me for skipping class. And I will never let that moment pass. I have, and that because this is like the, I don't remember a lot from the fifth grade, <laughs> but I remember this. I will never let it go. That's that was my that was my most ridiculous like volunteer t- tech support slap in the face situation, which is a a lesson. It was a lesson for young Chris.
4: So Chris, you you have us all bare our souls about our family, and you come up with some BS story from the fifth grade. I'm not gonna let that slide. Uh uh-uh. uh No, I mean I did I did
0: tell you like I got I got kind of lippy with uh, like the aunts and the uncles when they wouldn't. I'll tell you this. Okay, I'll, I'll share a family one then. Just a quick one. There were certain systems that I was like hyper committed to making sure it worked just right and that I would craft the software installation. That was, and Angela's parents did this, that was when a family member, like my mother-in-law, came to me and said, we want a new computer and we want you to build it for us. We want you to spec all the parts. We want you to build it. We want you to pick out the correct printer so we can print our recipes and our menus. Have at it. Just tell us how much it's going to cost and we'll write the check. Wow. As like, as like as a around a high school kid what what a blast right what a blast nothing more fun than specking out the perfect build getting a great case getting all the parts putting it together loading the perfect software build on there coming up with a backup solution finding the monitor that they think is going to be perfect getting the right printer getting it all to work and then writing a check with somebody else's checkbook like nothing was better than that as a kid but I didn't appreciate – because I got so excited at the opportunity. I didn't appreciate the level of ownership and guilt I would feel any time they had the slightest problem. And that I would then be compelled to drive out to their place, which was like 45 minutes away from where I lived at a minimum at certain times, and <laughs> go out there and troubleshoot this computer when they were clearly frustrated and they weren't afraid to let you know about it. That's <laughs> their frustration. That was no problem. Um it was one of the harder things I did, and I did it for a couple other family members, too, um, because I would I would have such a well, – they'd have such a card over me. It's like, well, you recommended this computer to us, and you bought it, and you installed the software, and now it's having this problem. Like, what do I say to that? You're right. Okay, I'll be right out there to fix it. I'm sorry. I'm coming. <laughs> That's what I would do. And I would go in there with the, my tail between my legs feeling bad that their machine was broken. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, dude. I've had to deal with that a couple of times myself, helping friends out, building them a computer for their gaming or their whatever. And then something just obscure happens, a fan stops working or something and it starts running hot. And then you're like, oh, God. Then you get over there and you're like, oh, it's a fan. Why didn't you get better fan? Well, dude, because fans break sometimes.
0: Or they installed some crazy ass antiv- antivirus that is a total scam.
1: Or every computer in the '90s that came loaded with so much crap software that it would barely even boot. Yeah.
4: All oh, right, so funny because it's so true. <laughs> All of this, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And this was one of the reasons I really became such a Linux advocate because if you could get somebody that was uh, using just you know the computer for day-to-day computer tasks, a lot of end users use them for. The idea, a promise of a free operating system that didn't have these Windows viruses and malware, you know, you still had to be careful, but didn't have all of, all of these common executables that are constantly just get this free screensaver, get this free game that end users seem to fall for all the time, doesn't really impact the Linux side. And so to me, it was like, what a great benefit. Free, constantly updated, great software stack. Um. And I think a part of it played a big role in what made me such a, such a big pusher and believer for the Linux desktop for a long time.
4: But then you get the family member that says, Mike Aspersky's due for renewal. What do you think? And no, I'm not going to install Linux.
0: <laughs> Before we wrap up the show, let's follow up with Elle, who teased us a little bit in our last episode.
2: So yeah, Trace Lab has a Capture the Flag event where we're assigned eight different missing persons cases. Some of them are recent, as in a few months. Others have been cold for a few years. And we do our best to use open source tools like, you know, going through someone's Facebook, their Twitter, or even hitting the dark web to try to find new leads that the police may not have been able to find themselves.
0: Wow. This is such an amazing use of people's time. And uh, so last time we talked, you were about to go do it. So I assume you went. How did it go?
2: It went okay. Uh, my team did not do the best. I think we hit about, oh, 38th place. But I was happy that we even managed to get a few flags because we were probably three and a half hours in before we figured out what we were supposed to be doing. Um It's really surreal because you're looking at these missing people's cases and, you know, some of them are teenagers that just seem to have vanished. Others, when you start reading their cases, there's like a mother and daughter and I won't say their names just because I don't know what all we're allowed to say. But when you start reading their case and you start going through their Facebook posts and everything, you start going like the boyfriend did it. Like, how does how has he not been arrested? And you kind of start seeing the cycle of violence and it's hard to get excited that you're getting points because these are real people. Real people's lives have been affected.
0: That sounds kind of heavy. It sounds like it can be a bit of a, an emotional toll.
2: It was heartbreaking at times. And, you know, I was really new. Um, I was using my own computer. And so I didn't go down the dark web section, but a few teams did. And when you start looking into human trafficking and you start seeing some of the photos that were posted there, um, I know quite a few people who had to get up and just walk away from their computers for a bit. And you start wondering, because we don't have any transparency to what we find and whether the police has seen it. So we kind of start wondering, you know, what resources and, you know, mental health counseling was offered to these first responders who are having to see this day in and day out because it's eight hours and I can't handle it. So it was a little heartbreaking at times. Other times, you know, um, we are my own team found a lead where we tracked down somebody who one of the individuals had been dating, and we suddenly found um, one of their sites on OfferUp. And we started seeing that within two days of this girl going missing, this guy suddenly starts selling almost everything he owns on OfferUp. And so you kind of start jumping to conclusions, and you're, you're hopeful that, you know, hey, maybe the cops didn't see this. Maybe this will bring a new light, and they'll be able to continue this search. So there's it's good and it's bad.
0: Would you be willing to do it again, Elle?
2: So I am doing it again um, at Hacker Summer Camp. They're doing one at DEF CON, and um, I now have a computer that's been donated to me that I don't have to be so worried about. People have helped me to set up new social media accounts with, you know, this is not a person, photos and information. So if I'm doing anything, it doesn't get linked back to me as a person And if anybody wants to join us, you know, Trace Labs themselves actually has a Trello board with missing person cases that aren't part of a competition, but you can kind of learn and work out your skills that way. And then there's an organization called Innocent Lives Foundation. And if you already have these skills, you can volunteer to be a white hat hacker for them and get to do this on, you know, kind of a volunteer basis, kind of a full-time gig, I guess, but not paid.
0: You'd probably get pretty good at it if you kept doing it, I would imagine.
2: I hope so. You know, it's an interesting way to sharpen your tech skills. You know, you learn to use like VMs and certain Linux distros like Buscador. Um, but at the same time, you're doing it for good. So it's not a complete waste of time.
1: <laughs> well, and I have admiration for people that do that, too, because, I mean, you mentioned the mental health of the person that's actually doing these searches, um, in the, in the mental health of, you know, police officers, for example, or firefighters, whatever, having to see some of the worst part of humanity all the time for eight hours. I mean, it just has to be incredibly difficult mentally to to overcome that. So, um, you know, I have a, a huge admiration for people that are willing to put themselves through that to help someone else out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got to say goodbye to uh, Mr. Brandon because he has to uh, jump off to go uh, do his job. So... Good luck, Brandon. Thank you for making it.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Brandon.
0: Well, I think that's probably where we'll wrap it up this week. We're not doing The Millionaire because we're revamping the game, and we also have some plans for uh, some live streams in the future that we'll be telling you about. All of that will be revealed soon, including our in-person episode of the Friday Stream coming up soon. So FridayStream.com for that and links to everything else we talked about. Cheesy, it's time for a little Barbarian, isn't it?
1: It is. It's time for a little Barbarian I don't don't know. I don't know if that was... Was that
4: Russian? I love this track so much, Cheese. Oh, you All right, there you go. You got a fan. Yeah. Rome,
0: Italy. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, FridayStream.com. Alex, I know you're a Volkswagen driver. You and I are Volkswagen drivers. Did you know that Volkswagen sells more sausages than Beetles? And in 2015 and 2017, it actually sold more sausages than just cars overall. What's the emissions on that like, then, eh? So this, this goes back to 1973. Volkswagen started making their sausages, known as item number 199-398-500A. Sounds delicious. In the, in the actual Volkswagen factory at the company headquarters. They have, a, they have chefs there, and they have, they have a, like a cafeteria area, and it's meant as a breakfast or a lunch item in that cafeteria. You can get the sausages served as whole or chopped up or even tossed with Volkswagen's own factory-made curry-flavored ketchup. These days, there are 30 kitchen staffers, most of them are trained butchers, and they make 18,000 sausages every day. They sold nearly 7 million sausages in 2017, which is more than they sold cars worldwide. Yeah, but it's the
4: options that get you.
0: They charge extra for the mustard. (laughs) Sometimes they just skimp on the basics. Yeah, that curry mustard's an extra. (laughs) Uh, Pro tip, if you manage to get yourself on one of these, which would be amazing, uh, you need to cook it at 350 degrees for 100 minutes because they're steamed at 350 degrees, steamed. And then they finish them Uh, all over the country. So they finish them before final delivery. But uh, if you get your hands on a raw one, it needs to be steam cooked at 350 degrees for 100 minutes, not a minute more, not a minute less. Do those brats need to come to the front of the line then?